I'd like you to turn right now in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and this is our final study in our Loving God series, and we're going to be looking at the second greatest commandment. And so um, let's begin here. I'll begin reading in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, that being Jesus, they asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, this is the first commandment. Matthew calls it the greatest of the commandments, and we have spent four consecutive weeks breaking down what it means for us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are going to look at tonight the second commandment. And, you know, what's really important for us to understand, I want to remind you of this again, is that our command to love each other really flows out of the command to love God. Because as we're loving God with our whole body, our whole person, out of our, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the more that we do that, the closer that we're getting to Jesus and the more that we're becoming like him. And so that leads us then to the second commandment that Jesus said this. This is the one that flows out of the first. Verse 31, he says, And the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, the command to love our neighbor as ourself is actually found eight different times in the Bible. Not once, not twice, but eight times. In fact, loving your neighbor as yourself is so important to God that he not only repeats himself, but he makes this a command. Now, at first glance, I think for most of us, when we hear that we're to love our neighbor as ourself, we, we think, oh, yeah, that seems pretty simple. I, I like my neighbors. I like my friends. I, I like the people that I work with most of the time, right? And that's usually what we think of when we think of neighbor. We think of our friends, our physical neighbors, maybe those that we you know work with. It's those that, that we know. And we think, hey, I can, I can do that. And we often think of you know loving your neighbor as yourself is simply meaning this. It's been translated to treat others the way that you would like them to treat you. And that's not a bad description of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. But it's interesting because Jesus expands upon this whole idea of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself in the parable that he tells of the Good Samaritan. Let me, let me set up the story for you. It happens when one of the scribes comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus responds to him and says, well, what are the commandments? And the scribe responds by saying, well, God tells, says that I should love you know, the Lord my God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. To which Jesus responds, you have answered rightly, do this and live. But then it says that this scribe wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus this question. He says, well, 
Who is my neighbor? Who who, who are we talking about? And, And Jesus then tells a parable that we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a parable about a Jewish man. It's important that you know that. Jewish man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about a 16-mile walk. And on that walk, on his journey, he gets jumped by some bandits who rob him. They beat him up and they leave him for dead. Well, after that man is laying there, left for dead, beat up and bloody, it says along comes a Jewish priest on his way to the temple. And it says that as he's walking along, he sees the man up ahead and he decides, ah, that doesn't look like a really good scene up there. So he decides he crosses over to the other side of the street, the other side of the road, so that he can just kind of ignore this guy who's beaten and bloody and laying there on the ground because he's got some important business for God to take care of. Well, after him comes a guy who is described as being one who worked in the temple. He would be like an assistant to one of the priests. Uh, Some translations would call him a Levite. And this guy comes and it says that he actually stops and he looks at the guy. And he's like, oh, that's really sad, that poor guy. But he doesn't do anything to help him. He just moves on. He just goes on his way. But then a third guy comes that Jesus describes as a Samaritan. Now, why is that important? Well, if you know your history at all, you know that the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't like each other. They had this feud going on that had been lasting for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they did not like one another as a group of people. But this Samaritan comes along, he sees this Jewish man beat up and bloody, And it says that he has compassion on him. The word compassion means to have pity plus action. You see, it's not just looking and going, oh, that's a sad situation. But but compassion is when you're moved to the point where, where, where you don't just have pity, but you have to do something about it. And that's what this guy does. He he takes this man. And he gives him medicine. He bandages or he puts medicine on his wounds. He bandages him up. He takes him to an inn in the nearby town. And he says to the innkeeper, you know, I want you to let this guy stay here as long as he needs to stay here until he can recover and get better. And whatever the bill is, I'll pay it on my way back. And so that was the story that Jesus told. And then he looked at this scribe and he said, so which one of those guys was his neighbor? And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same. And in that simple but famous story, Jesus was getting everyone who heard him to think of neighbor in a new way. That neighbor can actually be somebody that you don't know. A neighbor can actually be somebody that you don't even like. A neighbor could actually be someone who is your enemy. And to love them in the right way is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you resources. It's going to involve sacrifice. But get this. 
When we are loving in that way, that's when we are the most like Jesus. Because that's what he did for us. He saw us when we were his enemies. Beaten up by sin. Beaten up by the world. We had rebelled against God. And and the plight that we found ourselves in, we actually put ourselves there by our own stupid choices. But Jesus had compassion on us. He saw us in our plight and he left heaven. He came and really was the ultimate good Samaritan and not just allowing us to be picked up and healed physically, but to be healed spiritually to where we could now live in relationship with God. But in that story, Jesus puts this whole new spin, this whole new perspective on who our neighbor is. And tonight, I think the Lord wants to broaden our view of who our neighbors are. Those who are around us. To think of this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself in an entirely different way. You know, one of our core values here at Calvary Vista is this. We believe that we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And tonight, I want to highlight some of the ways that we as a church are seeking to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I want to do that by highlighting some ministries that we are involved in. I want to highlight some ministries that we are partnering with as they're seeking to love their neighbors as themselves. And I want to highlight some people in our body who are doing some amazing things and have done some amazing things to really love those who are their neighbors or who the Lord showed them were their neighbors And I think these stories will help just expand upon your idea of what this really means. And I hope tonight both encourages you, inspires you, challenges you, and maybe gets you to think about a little bit differently who your neighbor is. To begin with, I want you to check out this video that shows something that happens here every single Wednesday morning of a way that we are seeking to love our neighbors, our community as ourselves. Check it out. As you can see from that video, there's an amazing ministry happening here every single Wednesday morning, and uh, it's just such a blessing to be a part of it, and you know, we believe that we have been blessed to be a blessing, and tonight in this first segment, as we're talking about loving our neighbor as ourself, I have uh, Pastor Mike with us and his friend Guillermo. And uh, Guillermo leads this food distribution ministry. And Guillermo, I just want to say to you, thank you so much for allowing us to uh, take part in this with you. It's so incredible. 
Thank you, Pastor, for letting me um, stay in the parking lot and help people. Um, so, Guillermo, how many cars come through on a weekly basis, or how many of the last couple of weeks have come through? Well, the last couple of weeks, we have 504 uh, for two weeks right now. So it's incredible how increase uh, in the community around here in, 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 in Vista. And 504 cars is feeding literally thousands of people, right? Yes. It's amazing. Yeah, I guess every car have two families or three. So um, basically we have like if we have 500 cars or 504, we'll probably feed them about a thousand people. So each, each week. Each week. Wow, yes. that's incredible. Praise God. Yeah. Thank so you. cool. Now, I want to ask you, what led you, how long have you been doing this, and, and what led you to start this ministry? Because you're doing this not just here, but in five other locations, so five days a week. How'd this whole thing get started? Yeah, it's like, um, like I said, uh, Matthews 25, 35, it's, it's really take my heart. Um, when Jesus, you know, the Lord say, you feed me, you... Um, uh, see me thirsty, you you give me. So this is the one touch my heart is take my place in my heart to feeding people. Um, my question is, you know, God, when did I see you? When did I feed you? When did I give you food? So I never see you. And then he said, if you give you one of these, Charles, you give it to me. So it touched my heart, and then that's when they start um, to help people or in the community. That's when they got reach my heart so where do you get all the food i get it from the food band san diego okay. and that's i get every uh, like i say i go five days a week so i'll get it from there <laughs> and uh they you have a good reputation with those folks down there yes we worked together for 12 years so um they know me that i will give it away and you know trust me that it i will i will take into places that it would they would need it okay and um so the two biggest places where you're having cars come through is uh, in Alpine. How many cars in Alpine? Alpine is uh, 675. Wow. Every week. Every week. Yeah. Every week. And Alpine's not that big of a community, is it? You know, that's what we're we, um, we talking about. The Pastor Gray and, and the other pastors and, and friends, they say, you know, Alpine is not really neat. It's a lot of people. They really, you know, have support. But... Um, I don't. I don't think so. That's the most um, incredible. Um, a lot of cars being, you know, six hundred and seventy-five, and the Escondido is the second one for uh, five hundred and seventy-five, and this one is the third, like five hundred and four. So it's really, you know, increased a lot of people coming in through through the line. Well, it's an incredible blessing that um, you allow us to partner with you in this. And I know that everybody in, you know, our church that helps out and they, they come and help the cars come through and they're loading cars and praying with people. Um, it's the highlight of their week. I mean, I talk to those guys and they just they just light up. I mean, they're so, so, so thank you so much for letting us partner with you um, in what you're doing and how God's using you. I mean, he's using you in an incredible way. And really is this is being a very tangible way of loving your neighbor as yourself. And um, it's incredible. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Because, like I said, it's really hard to find a pastor who didn't use the parking lot for a lot of reasons. And I understand. But to find a church that will let you do it, 
and thank you for the first time uh, you say yes yeah. and uh, <laughs> i was i was past a lot of time and i would pray the lord one day i said lord one day you let me stay there and serve you and and i don't know how but it will happen and you say yes yeah. And thank you for that, because it's like I say, it's really hard. It's you really just hard. didn't ask soon enough, because <laughs> I can't see why any pastor would not want to let you do that. I, mean, I think it's incredible. Yeah, but... And so if you're watching this and you'd like to you know, come and be a part of this, it starts very early on Wednesday mornings. Um, you can talk to Mike Viveros, our Spanish pastor. He's kind of our lead guy here in helping that get set up. And uh, I'm actually going to turn to Mike now and talk about another way of loving our neighbor. And this is a neighbor that probably most of us never, ever think about because it's our neighbor that is in the Vista County Jail. Mm -hmm. And Mike goes in there every single week and he does Bible studies. And uh, Mike, you spent some time in prison, right? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about, um, about 20 years of my life in and out of prison. Uh, the last time I did uh, seven years, uh, two years in the state five years in the in the federal system. Wow. So Mike's got an incredible story, and a lot of you have heard it, but uh, he's now our Spanish pastor. Mm -hmm. And Mike, after spending almost 20 years of your life, and you only look like you're 40, so... Uh, <laughs> I, I paid him to say that. <laughs> but after spending 20 years of your life in prison, what was it like to go back? You know, I, I remember, um, uh, you know... Um, the Lord showed me a vision one time while I was incarcerated, uh, and he showed me a vision of me preaching inside uh, the, the prison system. And, uh, you know, I really, I remember the vision like it was yesterday, but I really never put a, a whole lot of thought to it. Um, you know, and then fast forward a couple of years, got out, um, and the Lord just put that desire in my heart. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple of years passed by. And uh, that desire was in my heart still. And um, one day I just decided to, to pray and ask the Lord if he would open the doors, uh, uh, go into the Vista Detention Center. And uh, we did. I mean, I did my uh, the application. They um, And they, they, they told me, too, uh, that, it, you know, with my kind of record, it was going to be kind of hard. Uh, but you know, the Lord is big and uh, I fell in between the cracks and uh, I've been doing it now for about eight years now. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, it's a blessing. Um, and, and so you, um, what do you do when you go into the jail? So we go in and, uh, um, they give us, uh, different mods. Sometimes we get, you know, medical, sometimes we get, uh, women, sometimes we get regular inmates. What's, what's a mod just for people? Uh, a mod know. is a, a section of the, of the detention center where they house like, you know, from, I think it's like 50 guys or a hundred guys and, in a mod. Yeah. So, so, uh, sometimes we'll get, uh, one person, sometimes we'll get 25 to 30, 30 people. And we always go into never go in by ourselves. Yeah. And so you're going in and doing Bible studies, We're going in on Fridays, going in, uh, and doing Bible studies. Uh, and, uh, we just, uh, pray that the Lord does, uh, does work in there. And are the guys uh, really receptive? You know, the guys are very receptive. Um, so are the ladies. The gals are, are uh, also receptive. But the guys are, um, uh, you know, they're very receptive. I remember if I can share one time. Uh, so we get a, a group of about 20, 25 guys in. 
And the first guy that walks in is a guy that's got a bunch of tattoos on his face. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to give me a lot of hard time, you know. So, uh, and, and, and it uh, turned out there was two guys in the back that were being very disruptive. And this guy with all the tattoos in his face got up, turned around, told those guys in the back, like, hey, you guys are disrespecting these people. They come in. Uh, out of their time and, and give us a Bible study. And he just told them to be quiet. And they sat down and were very receptive after that. But, but yeah, they're, they're very receptive. Yeah. Right. So, Mike, is this something that other people in the fellowship can get involved in? They can. Uh, they uh, just have to fill in an application with our team leader. And, and uh, then we'll give it to uh, the detention center. And they'll do a background check. And uh, they'll let them know okay. if, they, if they're available. So you can give them some more information yeah. about yeah. that. Yes, sir. Um, so if you're interested at all in being mm-hmm. involved in uh, ministry in the Vista Jail and ministering to a neighbor who um, is right here in our city but um, is behind bars, incarcerated. Um, but oftentimes I've found um, that people, when they're in that situation, their hearts are really, really open because Very. they're kind of at the – they've come come to the end of themselves. Very, and, mm-hmm. and I think it's interesting, Mike, that you mentioned um, that the Lord gave you a dream, you know, mm-hmm. of uh, you preaching. Yeah. And earlier we were talking, Guillermo, and you mentioned about, um, you know, that you wanted to dream big. And I just love that mm-hmm. idea because, you know, I, I believe that we have a big God. And so I think we should dream big and we should pray big um, because there's nothing that he can't do. And um, so it's amazing to see how he's using you um, to feed and, and just share in a very tangible way the love of Jesus. And I love the scripture that you shared from Matthew 25, you know, where Jesus, you know, said yes. that when you take care of, you know, the least of these, you you take care of me. And, you know, um, and it's just an amazing opportunity that we can do that. And I can't think of, you know, I mean, again, the least of these, those who mm-hmm. are at the rock bottom, mm-hmm. they're in, in prison, in jail. Yeah. Um, and Mike, do you know how long people stay in the, the Vista jail? Um, right now, uh, a couple of years ago, they passed a law. They can spend up to 10 years in there now. So it's, it's insane. Uh, it used to be, um, over a year, over 366 days, you eventually, in, or 65 days, you went to uh, state prison, but now you're able to do much more than that. So you're seeing some people on more of a regular basis. Yeah, sometimes we see regular people. Sometimes, uh, um, and it all depends. Sometimes they just get shipped out somewhere else or down to some other facilities in the county. But that gives a great opportunity for like some ongoing discipleship to happen. Big time. I mean, the Lord's doing uh, an amazing work right now in the the county jails here in San Diego. That's cool. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, guys, thanks so much for being here. Uh, tonight and being a part of this and just love how God's using you. And again, Guillermo, thank you so much for uh, helping us and or letting us help you in, in what you're doing. And we really count it as a privilege. I want you to know that. Thanks. And um, in our next segment, we are going to be talking about a neighbor that is really in kind of the coming out of what we might call the underbelly of Vista, um, an aspect of something happening in in our very city and all throughout um, Southern California that um, is really, really sad. But uh, I'm going to be talking with a, a group of people who are doing an amazing work to help transform people's lives. So check out this video. 
All right. Well, welcome back. And this next segment of our evening tonight is we're considering what Jesus meant when he said that we're to love our neighbor as uh, yourself. And tonight we, um, in this segment, I'm, I'm joined with um, some folks from a ministry that we love to partner with here called Run to Rescue. And uh, it's a ministry that reaches out to help and rescue people who are involved in human trafficking. And uh, human trafficking is a big problem here in California, isn't it? Tremendously so. It's why, un- why don't you guys introduce yourselves real quick? Yeah. Um, my name is Bartley Forsyth, and I'm the co-founder of Run to Rescue with my wife, Shannon Forsyth. And um, we've been doing this since 2012, and we reach, rescue, and restore victims of sex trafficking. What's your role, Shannon? I am the um, chief operating officer, so I am um, boots on the ground with our girls. Um, we work with girls ages 8, um, and the reason we're 8 is because this last year we got an 8-year-old. So 8 to 29, um, we have Future of Hope, which works with our minors. We have um, Immediate Hope, which is emergency right off the streets, Gateway of Hope, which is our 9-month um, trauma-centered program, mm-hmm. um, biblically-centered, and our Anchors of Hope, which is our transitional and we, that is placing them in family settings. So once they are stabilized, they're ready to get on their feet, they've been discipled, and they're ready for the next phase, we open up um, homes for their transitional so they can go back to school, they can get jobs, and they're in that for nine months. Okay, that's great. And you are? I'm Danielle Hall, and I am the house director for Render Rescue in the Homes, and um, I was a client that went through their program in 2014. So Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So you got a story. I do. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so how big of a problem, uh, Bartley, is human trafficking here in California? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, it's the fastest growing crime in the United States. And in California, um, the, the numbers are always changing. But we're talking about hundreds of thousands of girls, if not millions, just in California. And Sacramento is really... I kind of refer to it as the den of snakes. It's really bad in Sacramento, but Los Angeles County, Orange County, huge hot spots, and they'll move them around through all the counties. And a lot of times, the girls won't stay in one place uh, for very long, maybe five days. Okay. So, what does this look like as far as um, when you know a young girl gets um, you know brought to to you guys, or, or how do you get connected with somebody? What, what does that whole process look like? Well, I'll let Shannon kind of dig into it a little bit more, but basically it's every case is different. So sometimes it's a mom calling us for help um, because she knows something about her daughter that doesn't look right. Um, Sometimes it's law enforcement. Sheriffs have picked someone up and they're looking for services. They're looking for help. Uh, Sometimes it's a social worker who says, hey, I have a girl here and this is what I found out. Can you guys help her offer services? And uh, so we currently operate two homes One is our immediate hope, which is like a shelter for just 30 days. And then the next one is our gateway of hope, which they stay for longer. And uh, we work through their trauma. And and it's basically biblically-based trauma counseling is a way to think of it. And we take care of everything for them. Food, clothing, housing, the whole nine yards. That's awesome. That's awesome. You want to add to that? Yeah, we um, work very closely with um, law enforcement. So we've worked with San Diego, Los Angeles, Orange County, Riverside. We have even gone into Las Vegas, um, Texas, Utah. 
Um, so we work really closely with them. We work with other agencies as well. We get, um, we'll work with domestic violence shelters who may call us because a victim may come through, rehabs. Um, we work with, we had worked with the missing and exploited children. We work, uh, we just, various forms of people will call us. So we, um, uh, as we have grown in the last uh, nine years, people now are knowing us. So we're on different committees in Riverside. We're on the Riverside uh, Task Force. We are on the CSEC Steering Committee, which work within the foster youth and the foster care system. So we're pretty in there. So we get a lot of uh, calls from so many different types of agencies. That's awesome. That's incredible. And your base of the two houses in Riverside? No, we have a Riverside home, which is our uh, our 30-day, and then our Orange County home, which is our nine-month program. Okay, okay. And uh, is is this, for you guys, um, dealing with, you know, kind of that element, is this, can this be dangerous for you? Well, you know, this kind of idea comes up quite a bit, but we try to do everything we can security-wise um, to keep... The girls safe. That's the main thing we want to get across to them, that when they're with us, they're safe. So we do everything we possibly can security-wise. Um, and a lot of times it's getting them just away from the area in which they're in. Yeah. We take their phones away as a security issue. We turn them off, take the batteries off, uh, turn, take the batteries out, and that, that whole thing. Um, but we've never really felt in danger, mainly because um, we just want to try to stay away from a potential hazard uh, but, we, but we've had times where we've gone to court um, with one of our girls who we just baptized uh, this last weekend, nice. and we, they surrounded us with, with like, SWAT police officers. It no was way. Unbelievable. Wow. So, yeah, so there's just been, um, there hasn't really been anything that's made us afraid. And a lot of times volunteers, when they start to look at getting involved, they have that aspect of the fear component. But these girls are sweet. They're, they're just, they're wanting to be loved. Right. Um, basically, dads haven't been in the picture. Um, so they kind of soak up uh, some of the men's attention when we can pour out uh, our love for them and our care for them that's uh, appropriate. Now, I want to talk f- about, in, in just a few minutes, um, how people can get involved. But um, before we do, th- this is not just a girl problem, though. Do you know, are there homes out there for boys? There, um, at um, about a year ago or two years ago, there was only been one home in all of the United States for boys, wow. and that problem is growing, and that is something that we are not overlooking. Um, we had just told our um, the CSEC steering committee in Riverside that we were open to starting to work with boys to send counselors in just to the foster care to have men go in to work with the boys, but they are not identifying them as quickly, and the reason being is there's no resources, and because there's lack of resources, no. Nobody, why would a law enforcement pick up a young boy, remove them out of out someplace that, we're, and put them where? Where right. would you put them? And so when there's only one one house, which has, I believe it was six beds, then that's a wow. that's a problem with that. And so we are definitely looking into that. Um, but resources are a big deal. We mm-hmm. don't take government funding, so we can't just go and open homes up. We have to wait for the Lord to provide that. So let's go to the, back to the beginning how did you guys get involved in in this? Where, how did this start? I mean, Bartley, you're a pastor, and and uh, you know, 
Tell us, how did this all come about? Well, it, honestly, it really started with my wife um, going to a conference, learning about it, and really, I mean, as Americans, we just think we've seen the movie Taken, so it's over there. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, but she'd come home and t- start to tell me a little bit about it, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. That's too bad. And that's usually most guys' reaction. Um, but then she brought a, a film home. We watched it together. And we were just both in tears. And we were like, we got to do something. Mm. We, just, we, we can't just not do anything. Yeah. So it was that sort of like stepping out of the boat to just take a step. And we're like, okay, Lord, we don't know what to do, but we'll just take the next step. And we kind of had a, a vision of a picture of like from Hosea of take them away and speak tenderly to them. And, and that's uh, Hosea 2.14, uh, 2.15. And um, we actually named one of our homes the Gateway of Hope, which is straight out of Hosea. So it's just that idea of, of just trying to do what we can. And, um, you know, as, as, as we were beginning, you know, it was just not knowing what the next step was. Right. And so uh, the Lord just kept, okay, take this next step. Okay, take this next step. (laughs) And those steps, Rob, have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, like Shannon said, we don't take any government funding. It's all been just provided by the Lord and through a few churches and a few people. And we're just like, okay, Lord. So this home in Orange County, you know, it's a six-bedroom home. So it's like, okay, are you sure, Lord? And now we got two bills to pay for, two water bills to pay for, two electric bills and, and, uh, and the mouths to feed. But every time just... The Lord's been faithful. Shannon, you need to meet my wife because this has been something that's been on her heart for a really, really long time of having not necessarily only directed toward this issue, but just a a girl's home here in Vistas. She's been bugging me about that. Let's get one started. (laughs) We have a need for... um, moms with their kids right now so i I mean i mean the needs just keep growing and and the cool thing about not taking government funding is when we see a need we literally can just change and say okay we we you know hey it's we're on a lull we can work with this girl and the beauty of watching the holy spirit move us in all different avenues and different pathways has been remarkable and Mm -hmm. it is um it it's just it's been an amazing journey, and I would love to meet your wife. <laughs> <laughs> and so not taking government funding means you don't have restrictions over you, and you, it really allows you to just openly share the gospel and exactly. uh, not have any um, restrictions. Yeah, from- I think the biggest one, if you ask, um, if you ask a, an organization that says that they're Christian and you ask them, do you require the girls to go to church on Sunday? Their answer, if they say, no, we don't require it, is typically because they take government funding. Okay. So it's, um, and they're, it doesn't mean that they don't love the Lord. It means their hands are tied to that money. Yeah. And so we just tell our girls, it's our house, our rules. You come in and, you're, and we, we, we make it into an alternate family program. So we live there. Right. So, and we are, we create this, that's how we can't do conflict resolution there. We're working together as a family. We, uh, just, we do Bible studies together, but then they go to church with us because okay. that's what we do in a family. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, and we are able to do that. We are able to tell the girls, you can't have your phone because they don't have self-control. They reach out to their traffickers. Right. They talk to the people out on the streets because that's only what they know. Yeah. And that's their family. That was their family. 
Now, when a girl comes into the program, um, how long are they in the program before they graduate? Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it might start with um, her coming into the immediate hope shelter first and just seeing what does she want to do and, and is she willing to work with us as we work with her. And so that's about 30 days. And so we kind of see where is she at. Is there, are there other issues? If there's a real drug rehab need, we'll actually put her into a Christian rehab. We have a few uh, resources that we work with of, of other organizations. And then move her to the next step to the Gateway of Hope Home. And so that may be about nine months. And then so we start working on some of those things. What, what's this idea of safe people? What's the idea of boundaries? Yeah. You know, sh- yes, you should close the bathroom door when you go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that we just take for granted as normal, they have never even had any of that kind of teaching or training. And, and I may have said it earlier, but a lot of them, they have no dads in the picture. Yeah. 95% of the time. And so that like 5% is like a very absentee or troubled dad. Right. So the dad not being there, that's been a big uh, challenge. And so then after that, then maybe they'll go to the Anchors of Hope home, which would be, you know, a family that feels called, usually like an empty nester. They've raised some kids. They've been in ministry. They're a little seasoned. And so uh, she'll stay there for about a year. And as she's just doing an internship at a church or doing an internship at a dog shelter or something to start mm. getting a little bit of job training. So that ends up being about two years, it's, you know, give or take. It just kind of depends on the girl. Wow. At each phase, they graduate. So we graduate them out. So if a girl doesn't want to go with us onto the Gateway of Hope, she finished something. Okay. So she gets, a, she gets her certificate. Yeah. We celebrate the small victories. Gateway of Hope, we have one girl who she didn't want to go on to our Anchors of Hope, and that's okay. We're celebrating her in June. She mm-hmm. is. It was an accomplishment for her to right. stay nine months. And she is on fire, loves the Lord. And so we, have, we give her as many tools, as much support to make sure that she's successful when she steps out. And then and our anchors of hope when they do if they stay with us that long we throw the biggest party ever <laughs> so there is a massive celebration down to there we buy them again their phones back they get some one of our girls got a car wow. um, and we train them to make sure they get their driver's license usually they have about five to six thousand dollars saved and there are i mean it's that natural transition from going from a program to transitional where they're not paying anything. They're just learning their steps right. and financial planning. So it's, it's now, awesome. is there a part in your program where like they're getting, going out and working, getting jobs and yeah, yeah. in our, um, anchors of hope, that's when they're transitioned. So we, when Bartley was saying that they intern, so their first couple months they're learning internships. So we have to make sure that they've got some good job ethics, some work yeah. ethics. And then we um, actually just, we've been working with them in the first nine months in the Gateway of Hope to see, do they, what do they want to do? And mm-hmm. then we get them certified during that time. So they're getting a certification because we don't have time to send them off to school for four years. We don't want to keep them yeah. for four years. <laughs> they shouldn't. Um, so they get certified. So one of our girls wanted to be an EMT. One wanted to be an event planner. One of our girls right now is wanting to be a CNA. So we're looking in or a, um, a veterinary assistant. So she's trying to decide between those two. She will get certified. Then they will work. Um, they will start working. They will save 80%. They have 10% to, to, to blow on in you know, whatever they want to. And then they have 10% that they have to give to their local church to tithe. That's great. So, um, Shannon, can you tell us how, uh, people can get involved in what you're doing? 
Well, there's so many things. <laughs> um, we really do have a lot of things. And it, we right now, one of our needs is working with our minors because we are um, getting phone calls. So right now, uh, the abuse situation has increased because of what's been going on with um, COVID. Um, and so we're getting a lot of those type of phone calls. So we have caseworkers. So we raise up volunteers to go and meet with these um, minors whether they're being a group home in the foster care home or with a family. So we uh, work with them and we try to work through their trauma. So we have been able to come up with um, and develop a 40 hour trauma training, biblical trauma training so that anyone, when they're done with us, they can be certified as counselors through run to rescue and work through trauma. So we send out these little army of people to work with these minors. And um, so that right now is a need. Uh, We have needs of people who may, we have one woman who loves to bake. So she just came and baked how many cake pops? 80 cake, 80 cake pops. So there was a lot of cake pops, but they um, just came in and just uh, cooked with our girls. We have one woman who comes in and does a little Bible study and teaches them verse by verse how to study God's word. So there's so many different, um, You know, we have a dental assistant place where they do free dental for our oh. our girls. So they, um, so we've got various peoples in different forms that can come come to our homes. We have uh, in our Riverside home, we need landscaping. We need to get that landscaping. We have a massive backyard that we could utilize the space for something amazing, but okay. we are not. Uh, very creative. So we need <laughs> landscapers. Uh, we need, um, for our events, we need people to go out to an event and sit at our table and maybe be a spokesperson and train and go into schools. And so we have so many different needs that if someone's like, I don't know how I fit in, if they call and just tell us, I, I do this. Yeah. It would be music. One of our girls is writing music right now, and she mm-hmm. sings in our music room, and she just plays music and just sings wow. her heart out to the Lord. And uh, it's so if someone would come and give her voice lessons or, you mm. know, play the guitar with her. So there's awesome. so many different ways. They just need to call us, fill out a, an application. It's very extensive, but it's worth it. Okay. It really is worth it. That's great. And we'll make sure and uh, put your contact information uh, available tonight. And then also um, they can get involved financially. Yes. yes that's yes. a big so way. You, yeah, people can give at renderescue.com. Um, we have PayPal or, or credit card or debit, and that's um, a, a great way to help. Um, prayer support is great, and if the COVID's really hit you hard, you know, I mean, financially, we totally understand it. We've yeah. definitely taken a hit, but um, you can share our stuff on social media, you know. Yeah. So the girls will do a post about every couple of days or every other day, you know, just share our stuff. And, and maybe someone you know, it may be that God's speaking to them through you. Okay. Very cool. Well, I'm sure that we will have some people here that are going to be interested in wanting to come alongside in some of those practical ways and helping you. And we're actually going to be having uh, an event here that Danielle is going to tell us about right now um, that's going to happen on July 4th. So, Danielle, tell us how we can be a part of this <laughs> event and what it is. Yes. So um, we actually um, we're sitting down and thinking how we can be outside the box in this time. And um, Shannon was talking about um, we usually have a backpack for new beginnings that we give every single girl that we come in contact with the backpack and so we're like freedom backpacks day of freedom july 4th and so um we were reaching out to churches and we are so blessed that you guys have opened up your guys's parking lot um so it's going to be like a 
drive-through type situation where you can um, either um, come with a backpack fully loaded with um, items such as... I usually have this memorized, but I don't. Um, Pretty Bibles, so NLT. The girls love to read NLTs, and if you guys would like to take the time to highlight some verses, because getting a girl who's never looked in the Bible, they'll flip it open and be like, oh, that's highlighted, let's read that. Um, Stuffed animals, every single girl, regardless of the age, love stuffed animals. I have like 30 of them. (laughs) Um, Blankets, notebooks, pen and pencils, um, fun pen and pencils, not just plain ones. Um, Socks, everyone likes socks. Um, Feminine products, um, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothbrush, toothpaste, hairbrush, hair ties, and school supplies. And if you can't afford a whole backpack, anything is welcome because we'll assemble. We have um, backpacks at, at the immediate shelter um, that we can fill up as well. Um, and all this will also be on our app. We do have an app. Um, okay. I was waiting for Varley to say app. And so we do have an app. So we'll have that in there as well as an event that we'll be able to give all the other details to. Okay. Awesome. And we'll put that also on our website. And um, this is a great opportunity. Now the backpacks, so like a school backpack. Okay. Yeah, they um, when a girl comes off the streets, or even if she's coming into a group home, they they don't they don't have a lot of things. If a girl got moved from one group home to the next, she doesn't have anything. Usually, okay. she comes with her stuff is still at the group home, and she comes with nothing, or a trash bag full of stuff. So we want to fill them up, and with school coming. And with uh, everyone having yeah. a hard time with, with, with what's going on, we want to make sure that these kids have their stuff. And not only are we doing it just for our kids, but we are doing it for all of the organizations in Southern California that we have um, worked with or taking our girls. So if a girl's in a group home that we work with, we were, prov- we're providing it for all of those CSEC kids that are in that foster care system. So we, are, um, we have other... Um, trafficking agencies that we do partner with we are taking it out to them as well so we are so we don't we are not limiting the backpacks we're saying bring them on because we are going to expand this and if we have so much we are going to expand it to other states okay awesome praise god and uh we'll pass this on to some of the other churches in the area that we're connected with and let's see if we can get a whole big truckload of backpacks for you guys i think that'll be amazing and um so thanks so much for being here thank you, um, thank you very sharing, much thank yeah, you sharing your guys story driving all the way down here and uh what an amazing ministry run to rescue and um you know it's dealing with a, a neighbor that we a lot of us probably never think about until we see an ad or a billboard or maybe we, you know, uh, hear a story. But this is something that is actually happening um, right in our backyard, right here in Vista. Um, there's a high uh, concentration or of um, kids that are being trafficked. And um, so... Um, just really, really appreciate what these guys are doing and how we can come alongside and partner with them in uh, giving and prayer and in some of these practical ways. And so um, I want to pray for you guys right now before we wrap up, all right? Lord, I thank you for Bartley and Shannon and Daniela and just their whole team at Run to Rescue. God, we thank you for the way that you are using them to um, transform lives, to come along 
side somebody that has maybe been discarded by somebody else, but has never been discarded by you, and that you love, and to help these young girls get back on their feet. And Lord, we thank you for um, just a story like Daniela's, that she um, is here, and uh, you're using her, and that, that she's um, over a home now, and pouring into other girls. And God, we just pray that there would be more and more and more Daniela stories. And um, we just pray your blessing upon uh, this ministry. And we thank you, Lord, so much for um, just how you have been providing and using these guys in such an incredible way. And we just pray this blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, for our next segment, we are going to be looking at uh, a neighbor that is oftentimes far away, out of sight, out of mind, but a huge need. And we're going to hear from a couple in our church of uh, how God moved on their heart to impact three kids that were all the way in Russia. So you can check out this video right now. So welcome back, and uh, my next guests this evening are Jim and Paula Moran and Shelly Meyer. Why don't you guys say hi? Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> and uh, really excited to sit down and talk with these guys. You know, we've been looking at tonight the subject of loving our neighbor as as yourself. And we wanted to look at this from a lot of different angles, because I think we have a tendency to just think of our neighbor as our next door neighbor or the person that we work next to. Um, But it's broader than that. And um, Jim and Paula, you guys have uh, adopted three children. And so I wanted to talk with you tonight, thanks for being here, by the way, um, about adoption. And, um, but before we talk about the, your adopted kids, you have three biological children? Yes. And how old bi- are they? Three girls. Um, now or then? How old are they right now? Right now, they are, hang on, 38, <laughs> uh, 38, 29, and 24. You got to give me a chance. Yeah, you, you did. <laughs> did you math? Now, so when you adopted your first child, how old was your youngest daughter? Uh, she was ten years old when we started the process. Ten years old. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, what was it that prompted your heart to want to adopt? So it, the story is that we had a good life with our children. We were a tight family. We spent a lot of time together, went camping, had, had some great moments. And one day Paula heard an ad on K-Wave about hosting a Russian orphan for a month over the summer. And it was sponsored by an adoption agency. And the intent was to get 
these children adopted. So she heard about it. She talked to me about it. We prayed, and we just felt a calling from the Lord. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. So we agreed to do it, and we hosted a six-year-old boy um, for a month. Um, There were some challenges with the boy, but all in all, it was a tremendous experience, and the whole family rallied around it. And we decided, you know what, God's calling us to do this. Let's do it. So we started the process on that six-year-old boy to do the adoption. It's about an 18-month process altogether. Um, But the unusual thing that took place is we were about 11 months into the process, and a Russian family stepped forward and adopted him, which is highly unusual for their culture. And we knew this going into it that if a Russian family stepped forward, that we, would, we wouldn't be allowed to have the child. Um, but it was, it was so unusual because Russian aunts, and uh, within their culture, aunts and uncles adopt, but strangers don't adopt. Uh, okay. So here's a stranger who adopts this boy, and it's like, okay, Lord, you close the door. Um, a couple of weeks later, the adoption agency contacted us and said, there's another boy who's available He was hosted by another family. His paperwork has been processed, but the other family stepped back from the adoption. Would you consider it? So we uh, prayed about that, and we came to the conclusion, okay, God has opened up a door, another door for us. Let's do it. So we packed up the family. A couple months later, we packed up the family, and we all flew to Russia. Wow. So for us, that's a huge trust, a huge leap of faith because we're not world travelers. <laughs> right. We'd rather stay home. Right. Um, so we all flew to Moscow and uh, met the boy. Uh, it, was, it was unique to yeah. do that because he wasn't expecting us. Right. Um, but we met him, and we had to spend a, a period of time with him for a week to do the bonding according to Russian law. But the amazing thing was, and this was in 2006, is while we were there, we met these two girls at the same orphanage. Okay. And it turned out they were half-sisters, and we're back in the hotel room that night, and all four of us who were there just said we can't sleep because these girls are tugging on our hearts. So, you know, we adopted the boy in 2006, brought him home on May 1st, and then immediately started the process to adopt the two girls and went back and picked them up in September of 07. So they were aged uh, almost eight for the boy when we adopted him, and then the girls were ages nine and 14 when we ended up bringing them home. Wow. That's amazing. And um, yeah, I didn't realize that the, the two girls are, um, were half-sisters. I didn't realize that at all. Which, it was interesting because um, the younger of the two, she was a roommate of the boy. There were six kids in the room. So she was with us every time we'd visit him. She'd be playing along, getting in every photo, just in our face every <laughs> moment. And my heart was really tugging for her. But Jim... Um, was would turn and look at this other girl in the doorway who'd peer around the corner at him and and then tuck back when he looked and so his heart was going out to this girl and then we found out they were half sisters and they couldn't be adopted alone anyway wow. so uh yeah it was 
not something we planned yeah. at all, but just and, felt we had to do. And you know what's amazing to me about that? I mean, I've known you guys for a long time now. And um, when I see, you know, the girls with you, um, really when I see all three of them with you, but I see the girls more um, with you guys, um, you know, I never ever even think now about them being adopted because they just seem, they're just a part of your family. I mean, it's just... And, that, and we, we talk about that too. We can't imagine life without them. Without them. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's very unique what the Lord did putting them in our life too because they have blessed every other member of the family too. You know, the daughter that had uh, twin boys, you know, four years ago and also had a six-year-old or, well, she's six now. They're six and four now. Um, they helped so much with those kids. We were like, how would we have done this yeah. without these girls coming into our lives? So, right. so um, the three adopted children, how old are they now? 22 and 26. Two of them are 22 Mm -hmm. and one is 26. So the boy and the girl, they're six weeks apart in their birthdays. Oh, really? Okay. So they're 22 and then 26. Um, And and you really have to emphasize, this isn't us, right? This was God because after we got over the elation of the moment of we're going to adopt... And we go through the process, the 18 months and the trials and tribulations. When we went back to Russia in 07, the attitudes towards Americans had changed completely. In 06, they were friendly. They were open. They were thanking us. In 07, we were actually detained by the FSB. Wow. So we were investigated. It's like, what have we done? What have we done? And then we bring them home, and it's like, what have I done? Right? Um, So we were kicking and screaming um, after we had done the process and struggling with trying to integrate in the family. But, you know, the Lord saw us through, and like Paula said, the blessings that these children have brought to us. Now, the boy's had some, he's had some issues, and we've yeah. been working with him. He's out on his own, but the two girls are still living with us at home. Yeah. Their, their love of the Lord and their blessings to our family, it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And they've been a big blessing to our church. I mean, they serve in children's ministry and uh, two amazing young ladies. Yes. I just love them so much. And um, are, is, is one of them involved in uh, nursing? Or- uh, Valia is, uh, pray for Valia. She's uh, uh, applied for the nursing program at Grand Canyon University. Okay. So we'll know in June. All right. But, yeah, she's and got, you're a nurse. I am a nurse. So following in mama's oh, footsteps. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. So, so real quick, what have been um, some of the challenges and what have, been the, what have been the biggest blessings in this process for you guys? Well, our, our son, um, uh, we, there was always something that we knew was wrong. He had a lot of trouble um, interacting with people and um, a lot of struggles um, ended up having a lot of counseling for him through the years mm-hmm. and um, uh, on top of the react or attachment disorder that's so common he also um, had had some abuse things go on before he mm-hmm. we adopted him and uh, we were very blown away it took years to to find that out and so um He's he's got some things. He's he's grown a lot. He's worked through a lot of things, but um, he still has a lot of things to repair. Yeah, I think. I can yeah. imagine that that's yeah. pretty common with 
kids that have been adopted. Yeah. There's a backstory and baggage that they bring into it. Um, what have been some of the blessings? Just as Paula has said, the way that they've integrated with the daughters together, and they are such a tight-knit group, and uh, providing support for the grandchildren and the interaction between the um, the natural-born daughters. It took a while, right? It took a while because you're integrating, you're bringing strangers into your home, yeah. and you're making them part of your family. Um, you cannot discount how important it is that when you have a newborn that they learn from you just from observation right and you're bringing an eight nine and 14 year old girl and you're having to explain things uh, right this is the way we do it this is why we do it so that's the challenge there but the blessings have just so far outweighed that as as far as the interaction the bonding the the blending together because they were two separate families for a while and now they've blended together, and we're one family, and we get together. And when we get together with the sons-in-law, we're 11 or 12 strong going on a bike ride through <laughs> Carlsbad during COVID That's times. That's so awesome. Yeah, That's so it's, uh, yeah. It, it's just been an absolute miracle. And as Paula has said, we just can't imagine what it would be like without them, yeah. um, with what they've done for us. Yeah. Really, it has been a blessing. That's awesome. And, and you know what's interesting is um, I was sharing earlier about when Jesus kind of gave us a whole new perspective on you know, the idea of our neighbor when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, and the, the Good Samaritan you know, is this, the, the guy who um, comes alongside a Jewish person and, you know, the Jewish people and the Samaritans, you know, they didn't like each other, you know. And so he kind of gives this different angle on that our neighbor could be, you know, somebody that we don't know. It could be even be somebody we don't like. It could be somebody who's a, an enemy. And I think most people would never, ever think about, oh, my neighbor is somebody on the other side of the world. But in reality, that's true. And um, what a beautiful, beautiful story um, that you guys have, and um, it's still being written. You know, it's going to be amazing to see um, not just what your three biological daughters do, and they're, you know, awesome young ladies as well, um, but what these three adopted um, kids are going to do and, and how God's going to use them, and it's just been a blessing to see um, God work, you know, in your your lives and, and uh, their lives as well. And it's been just awesome watching them kind of grow up and this whole story unfold. So thanks so much for being here tonight and sharing a little bit of your story with us. Thank you very much for having yeah. us. So we're going to switch gears um, a little bit, but still on the, the subject and the angle of kids. Uh, as I mentioned, this is Shelly Meyer. And Shelly is involved in a ministry here in our uh, fellowship where they take uh, a group of um, people that take the gospel to public schools when school's in session um, one day a week in an after-school program called the Good News Club. Shelly, why don't you share with us about what the Good News Club is and how it works? So the Good News Club is actually a ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship, and that's been around for about 80 years. And um, in 2001, the U.S. Supreme Court um, ruled that there could be Good News Clubs at public schools um, after school, just like any other community group um, 
can participate uh, on school campus. So what we do is uh, we go into the schools. Uh, the parents have to fill out a permission slip. And they know we're going in, we're teaching the Bible, we're teaching uh, memory verses, music, uh, we play games, crafts, and all of those things um, really tie into, there's a great curriculum that Mm. CEF provides us, and they all tie into the Bible lesson. So every game we're playing, we're just constantly reinforcing in that one hour. And then we actually have... um, uh, devotion. It's called Quiet Time. We send that home with them, and that, again, is like five days of um, just a little bit of homework type thing, and again, reinforces what they learned that week at Good News Club. So it's a great opportunity to share the gospel, but also to disciple those that yeah. have come to faith. Amen. Do the kids do the homework? We have worked hard on getting them to do that <laughs> homework. So we uh, we did have a good turnout this last um session that we were in. Uh, we stopped in March when the schools closed. Uh, so we did this big poster board and did some prizes because, yeah, one more homework isn't always what they want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's homework that will shape their hearts in yes. a huge way. Now, you sent me um, some statistics on the yes. clubs. Do you happen to have that with you? Or? I do. I do. So um, in North County, there's uh, North County, San Diego. There are 18 good news clubs currently, awesome. or there were. Uh, hopefully, there'll be more next year. There were 509 um, kids that attended the good news clubs, and 127 gave their life to Christ. That's so cool, huh? That so amazing? every week after we have good news club, um, each of the team leaders um, submits um, like all those stats. So they they're very accurate stats, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then in our club alone, well, we have two that Calvary's been doing, um, yeah, Monte Vista yeah. and um, Beaumont, and then uh, hopefully we'll be in Beaubier next year. We got, finally got the approval, and we were going to start, um, I think, two weeks after schools closed. Okay. So, but we had, so we've had two clubs, and we've had, um, on average, 41 kids this year that have attended those, and uh, I think 16 of them have received Christ in those 41. Praise the Lord. That's so cool. I just love that. Taking the the message of Jesus right onto a public school campus. That's so cool. Yes. Yeah, it's such an awesome opportunity. And, um, you know, I had originally heard about um, Good News Club years ago, and um, I was involved for a couple years. And then because of my schedule, I wasn't able to be uh, involved um, after school. And then God kind of started stirring my heart, and I had gone to this prayer tea and heard of four different clubs. Um, they kind of stood up and shared a little bit, and they shared that in those four clubs, there were 100 kids represented wow. there. And, you know, I just started thinking about it, and God was stirring my heart. Like, 100 kids get to hear the gospel, get to know they can have a relationship with Jesus, you know, know their creator, and um, it's like... How can we not take this opportunity? Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. And um, so even though, Shelly, you you look quite young, you are a grandma, right? I am a grandma of five uh, five grandkids. (laughs) Wow. And so, um, but you still find the time and have a heart to want to do this. I do. I just see the value of it. It's, 
you know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and I didn't have um, a lot of opportunities, but there were a few ministries that kind of reached out to kids. I lived where there was a lot of apartments, and this bus would come around and pick us up to take us to church, you know, years and years ago. Um, and if I didn't, you know, those were like little seeds planted throughout the years so that when I did finally come to know the Lord, which was actually here at Calvary Vista 32 years ago, um, I, you know, I was invited to come here and it was like, no big deal. Sure. I'll come to church because I think cause those seeds were planted, mm, um, and just awesome. showing the love of Jesus. And, you know, I didn't receive the Lord when I was a kid and people still loved on me and yeah. made that time. And I just want to make that time, um, for others that don't necessarily have parents that are going to take them to church or, right. you know, a lot of, we have about one third of kids that, um, I don't even know if two thirds of them go to church. It's just a list at a church that they might be know of or be affiliated with. Cause it, mm. you know, we have that on the permission slip. So there's for sure one third that don't have, they're not associated with any church whatsoever. Wow. That's awesome. That's so. awesome. So, you, so you're bringing church to them. Yes. And That's then good. we get to invite them here and we do, we, mm. every opportunity, uh, harvest night, wow. um, Christmas services, uh, VBS, uh, the Resurrection Trail, which hopefully we'll get to do again next year. All of those things, we're constantly um, inviting them. And um, so it's, it's a great opportunity um, for to reach out to the kids, the parents, and also the school staff. We actually had um, the principal come to our classroom. No way. Yeah, we've been in Beaubier, uh, I'm sorry, in Beaumont since the fall of 2017. And about two, three, well, I guess three months ago now, um, she came to our classroom just to thank us and let us know how much the kids really need us there. That's great. That's great. So two, two final questions. How does this club and, and this opportunity, how does it fit into our Lord's commandment to love our neighbor as ourself? Well, I think um, it fits in because we are sharing the gospel and we're investing in people's lives. And I just think there's no other no greater way to show God's love than to invest in people and share the gospel with them. Yeah. And that elementary school that we drive by, they are our neighbors. And yes. those kids, they, they are, you know, our neighbors. And, and the last question that I wanted to ask you, Shelley, is this is, um, how, what, what's the criteria for somebody that would want to get involved? That would say, hey, that sounds amazing. You know, how can I be involved? How can I help? Well, we would love that. Um, we are um, looking for more people to join our teams next year. So um, really a heart to serve God. The curriculum that we get is so easy to follow. They made it really easy for us. So you just have to have a willing heart and you need to be available um, around, uh, you know, after school time. So we have uh, three clubs that we're planning on doing next year. On Mondays, they do it on, uh, that's like their minimum day. So from 1230 to 2, you would have to be available. And on Thursdays and Fridays from um, 2 to 330. Okay. That's it. And, and you don't even have to do it every week. If we can get enough people, um, we can do every other week. Uh, so really just a heart that wants to serve God and a little bit of time. Amen. Amen. And just think, I mean, this is a great opportunity for us. You know, Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And sometimes we think about that in terms of, you know, we're going to go 
to Africa or somewhere like that. But we love the concept here mm -hmm. in our church that we talk about a lot is that we have a local mission field right outside of our door. And all of these public school campuses are a part of that mission field. And so, you know, I would love to see someday a good news club on every single elementary school here in North County. And what amazing, you know, that would be. And what an great investment that would be making for God's kingdom in the next generation. So I do encourage you. I want to encourage you to pray. Um, maybe the Lord would have you get involved in that. Maybe the Lord would have you consider adoption. Um, there's a lot of, uh, as you just saw in the video, there's a lot of opportunities for adoption still um, here in the United States. So a great way for us to consider what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. You guys, thank you so much for being here and taking part in this. Um, thanks for sharing. Loved your stories. And um, we have one more segment left tonight, and uh, it's going to deal with um, a neighbor that we happen to pass by and see all the time. So check out this video. Man, that last picture in that video just really gripped my heart. I used to be your neighbor. And, you know, I think that's something that we never think about when, when it comes to the idea of dealing and ministering and, and thinking about those who are homeless. Is I know a, a lot of them, they, they used to be somebody's neighbor. They weren't always in that place. And uh, for this final segment tonight, I'm joined with my friend Pete Vargas. And uh, Pete has a tremendous story um, about homelessness. And uh, some of you have heard him share before here at our church. And um, he's involved and has been involved in ministering to the homeless for a long time. And that's a neighbor that we pass by all the time and oftentimes try to ignore, unfortunately. And uh, so Pete and I are going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And so, um, Pete, there's a story behind uh, your heart for the homeless. Um, can you give us kind of the Reader's Digest version of your story? Um, it begins with myself being involved in drugs and doing everything that I was not supposed to and losing my family in the process of it. Um, I had the choice to either stay with the family or the opposite. So I chose the opposite, and I became homeless because I chose to be homeless because the lifestyle that I lived. And you used to uh, live in a dumpster here in Vista? After certain years, I was living at Wildwood Park down the street. Um, I was not your typical homeless that hanged out with a bunch of people. I did not. Okay. 
but being at the park and being harassed all the time by the authorities, I made a nest up on a tree. And that's where I used to actually sleep all the time. Wow. Now, you've been involved in ministry of helping people who are homeless and really have a heart for homeless. You've been doing that for several years now. Tell us kind of what you've been involved in. I've been involved with the um, Gleaningfield Ministries. They've been doing this for about 40 years, but they go way above and beyond in helping the homeless as far as getting them shelter. So I've been working with them now for about eight years. Okay. And um, what what happens there when uh, at gleaning fields that, that's the place they actually provide showers and everything right food that's correct we meet at a church down the street here on melrose every second saturday of the month and we get about 150 homeless people that come out we actually have more volunteers that we do homeless but people provide sleeping bags we have medical assistance we have the uh dentist assistance, we have vaccinations. I mean, there's everything you can get to be off the streets. Now, has that still been going on during COVID or did it get shut down? No, it got shut down because we get uh, probably about 100 homeless every time we do it or sometimes 75. Yeah, okay. And right before um, this whole COVID thing started, right before the pandemic, you actually started a brand new ministry um, involved with people here in our church um, at Wildwood Park, where you used to actually hang out. And uh, t- tell us about what you were doing and kind of what's your heart for that ministry. Um, yeah, my heart to uh, touch this ministry is that um, they have five meals. They, ha- they actually have six meals in Vista. They feed the homeless Monday through Saturday and sometimes Sunday. And somebody gets up there and reads a Bible verse and then feeds the people. They do like a two-second prayer, feed the people. And the Lord was showing me that they can't survive in just one Bible verse being read to them. And even on second Saturday, they get a Bible study for about 15 minutes. But then the Lord was putting in my heart, now we need to follow this up. So we, with the guidance of the Lord and you guys supporting us, um, we began the ministry at Wildwood Park. And we already went through the book of Matthew. We went through the book of Ruth. And then we were on the book of Luke. And then this happened. So you're teaching a Bible study. You're providing food, but then you're teaching a Bible study um, for those who come. And uh, you went through the whole gospel of Matthew. That's amazing. Yeah, we are doing the same as Carvery Chapel Vista does. That's how I learn here. Bible, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, it's because I remember years ago when Brian Broderson was here and he was teaching the Bible and I was really, really upset about what he was saying, but I respect him. And then when I came back the following week, um, he continued on what he was saying. So that made a lot of sense. Okay. I just, that's where he ended. So, so continuing with the scripture, like you guys do, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, um, are you finding, so it's almost, I remember you were sharing your vision with, with me about this, that you really had a heart to see these, you know, homeless people that were in the same place that you were at actually being discipled, um, so that they can, you know, really get on their feet, but really get grounded in their relationship with the Lord. That's, that's really where your heart's at, right? 
That is where my heart is. When I was invited to Calvary Vista, a gentleman here took me under his wing, and I'm the byproduct of his investment. So I want to give back to the community, not just food, but get them connected with God so they can have a life as we do. And we were about to start the discipleship class, and then all this thing came down. So, so you're looking forward to first opportunity um, when the park gets back open and social distancing, you know, kind of drops a little bit that you can get back out there? We can get back out there before the pandemic happened. We were already social distances because the homeless don't <laughs> gather together because they're all from different neighborhoods. Okay. So um, we were already practicing that. So yeah. that's how it goes. And um, how can people get involved? How can others help? They can come down to Wildwood Park, and we meet about 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings right after the first service. And um, there's quite a bit of people from church coming down there and providing meals and um, helping us out. And um, the other thing that I, was, that I began to do was um, giving them a Bible verse. And if you remember this Bible verse, the next time you come to the meal, you get a $10 gift certificate for some more food. All right. But that didn't happen because COVID. So you're giving them a, a verse to memorize. That's correct. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Pete, um, I love you. I love your heart. I love what God has done in your life. It's just such an incredible transformation story. And, um, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, one of our core values is we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. And you're a living example of that. And I love to just see the way that you are allowing God to use your life to minister to the people who were right where you were at. And oftentimes, you know, I think that you know, people can look at somebody who's homeless and maybe think that they're a lost cause or, you know, they can never be helped. But you are a testimony of the fact that that is not true. And our God is the God of the transformation. Amen. And there's a lot of them that know Bible. There's a lot of them that know Bible. Yeah. But I leave, I, I leave you with this note. Um, after the COVID thing came in, I was like, oh, man. Well, now... I'm doing the same thing in my neighborhood, just reaching out to the neighbors and praise the Lord. That's awesome. All right. Well, that concludes our uh, interview segment for um, tonight. And just so thankful for the chance to um, really look talk about this. Thank you for the guests that we had tonight. And I hopefully that this allowed you to get and maybe think about the whole idea of loving your neighbor as yourself in an entirely different way. But I just want to encourage all of you who are listening uh, tonight, those of you who are tuned in, those of you who are watching, uh, the fact that Jesus, you know, he saw us when we were down and out. He saw us when we were lost in sin. And he went out of his way. He's our example, really. He went out of his way to come to this earth to, in order to rescue us, in order to save us, in order to, you know, take us from being in the pit and um, out of the miry clay, and he set us upon a rock. And so if you don't know him tonight, I want to encourage you um, to just cry out to him, just say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to help me. 
Um, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that our God is able to save to the uttermost. Pete's a living example of that. And so um, there's no one who is beyond his reach. There's no one who is out of his scope. And um, if you're watching tonight and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that he loves you with his whole heart. And that's why he gave his life for you. And so we're going to wrap up right now and I'll be back in just a moment. And uh, I'm going to share a couple things with you about um, our upcoming services this coming uh, Sunday, as well as next Wednesday night, because after tonight, we are live again here at the church, um, but there's some guidelines that we need you to pay attention to and be aware of, and uh, so I'll be back in a few minutes to um, discuss that. God bless.